It's a little extra Lambo. Coming to you live. No, actually it's not. Coming to you pre-recorded. From Clarkston, Washington, my hometown. But right now I'm at the Palatial Palace in the South Hill Studios. Getting you set up for this show you're about to listen to. It's my friend. Uh, we went to high school together. The Honorable Brooke Burns. She's the Superior Court Judge for three different counties. Um, she'll explain that in the podcast. I believe it's a Soton, Whitman, and Columbia County. So she was voted into that position last year. And we kind of go over her career and kind of how that all started. So um, awesome conversation. Uh, old, old friend of mine from fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. I think we kind of touched on that in the show as well um, with uh, her husband, Mr. J.D. Burns, who we have talked uh, about a couple different times on the Hotcast One Radio podcast. So, uh, I don't know, what do we got coming up here? Um, We've got the Hotcast One show. We've got, uh, it'll be out Wednesday. We've got a a cool episode with uh, somebody doing... um, with Josh Nichols, who is a B Top Live on Facebook, B Top Legends on Facebook, he does uh, he does videos for his league and team down in Oklahoma. We have that coming up on Wednesday, so tune in for that. Um, also, tomorrow we will be recording our first episode of the One Pack Two Pack Baseball Card Podcast. So if you are interested were were once interested um want to get back into it uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a podcast about baseball cards and uh kind of their popularity coming back i mean everything comes back around so i'm excited to do this show i'm gonna open up uh two packs of baseball cards one of them is gonna be from my day of growing up and the other one's going to be of today so i'm going to have uh my special guest will be my son he will be doing the first couple shows with me and then i'm going to kind of branch out and we're uh going to kind of maybe uh check into some of the other collections that my friends have so i know griffy is is a prominent card of mine and It'll be fun to go over those. So anyway, one pack, two pack, baseball card podcast. Look for that. Hotcast one, as well as a little extra Lambo. So I'm a busy guy. But hit that follow button. Hit that subscribe button. Download the show. That's how we can keep track of all these numbers and everybody listening. So without further ado, I give to you Brooke Burns. Um, that's what we're trying to do. So that's almost the next step. We've got, I've got the cameras all set up. Um, we're just trying to get the audio to connect to the video, and we're two dum dums, so we haven't figured it out yet. Come down and do, come down and do one with Bert and have him mm-hmm. do y'all set up. He does all of our IT shit. Back oh, when really? Moved yeah. When she separated from Tom and went out on her own, uh, 
all our shit. He was just here the other day, fucking hooking up a new router because our like if we watch Amazon movies like stuff like that or Netflix, it would buffer a lot. Okay. So yeah, we just call him. He comes <laughs> comes <laughs> over, <laughs> resets it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk, make sure you're talking to the mic. Gotcha. Because I do this a lot, and then I got to come back, and then you can hear me, and then I do this a lot, and then I was like, shit, I got to come back, do this. <laughs> I need to get a headset is what I need. And just I know, right? So you can actually $500 microphones, and I can't sit in front of it. Oh, you mean like a headset with like a speaker right here? Yeah. Yeah. So when everybody, so like I listen to SiriusXM, and a lot of the shows, they move from in studio to at their house. Well, they were trying. That's why this was hard to get because all of the studios, the producers, they bought this thing instead oh. of their big old board that they have there. They bought this. Oh wow! And it's it's easy plug in. It sets up all the audio and stuff is all on there. It's and I've I've learned a lot with this, and I could probably run a big board, but it'd take me probably a little bit. But the microphones, trying to get them set, and then if you have a guy that keeps doing this, you've got to have something else so no okay we are sitting here with the honorable <laughs> brooke burns or is there another name for you nope Sub- honorable superior court justice superior court judge for judge. Asotin, uh, garfield and columbia counties okay so and we also have her husband Mr. J.D. Burns, who I've mentioned several times on the Hotcast One radio podcast. Sweet. Internationally known there, fella. <laughs> I highly doubt that. <laughs> we, got, we got guys that listen in Canada. I got a guy that lists. He's in uh, Switzerland or Norway. Oh, cool. And then there's a couple guys from Japan that listen. Oh, sweet. So international known. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Do the math. Um. <laughs> We all graduated high school together in 1997. What were some of your fondest memories from high school? I was thinking about that. And at this point in my life, I think my fondest memories were just how much fun we had and how easy life was back then compared to now and how I wish I would have enjoyed it more. Um, I certainly, when I see kids in court that they're in court for truancy because they're not going, I think, what is wrong with you? I'd give anything to go back and do that. It was fun. Yeah. Um, I think my... Most favorite times were early on in high school, hanging out with uh, Tara Trimmel and Kylie Jensen. They were my two best friends. And then as time went on, I ended up meeting the big guy over here, and as well as Amanda Anderson, and they became, obviously, he my husband and my best friend, and Amanda, my lifelong best friend. So I think back to all the crazy stuff that we did, and probably not crazy in these times, but <laughs> was back then, and yep. I just, that's the stuff I love. How about you? Uh, yeah, being able to play sports and see my buddies and plan parties on the weekend <laughs> yep. and not having a care in the world. Yeah, no care. And that's my daughter right now. She's always worried about this and worried about that. And I'm like, you're going to realize in five years, 10 years at the most, mm-hmm. what, how much stress you put on yourself for something that doesn't really matter. Yeah. High school was a big deal to us, but in now we look back and it's like, it, that's a blip. And she, she's, Starting high school, she's a freshman, so she's just starting that process. So it, uh, she's going through the same thing that we did of trying to make everything as um, spontaneous but yet serious as possible and 
And then she's going to look back and go, I didn't really need to do that. So. No. Or just not worry about everything being so perfect or a certain way. Just relax and roll with it. Yeah. And she's the one where all of her friends come to her with all of their problems. So she doesn't really get a chance to work on her problems. She's helping everybody else out. And I said, baby, you got to kind of step away from that, back off, work on yourself. And then, you know, if you get in a situation where you want to help other people, then go for it. But you have to make sure you're whole first before you can help other people as well. Absolutely. Um, we graduated. Some of us barely. <laughs> That's better in high school than I was in college, that's for sure. <laughs> it helps when all your uh, coaches are your teachers, though. So it maybe it was skewed a little. <laughs> Where did you go after high school? I stayed in Clarkston for one year and went to Walla Walla Community College and decided that I wanted an immediate more college experience. So I left and went to WSU the next year. Went there for four years, graduated from there. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after that, so I came back home for a year and decided that I better further my education even more if I wanted a good job, because it's really hard to get a job with a political science degree. I was a secretary at United Way for about a year, and I enjoyed that, but I thought, nah, this isn't, this can't be what I'm going to do. So then I uh, took an LSAT prep course and took the LSATs and then applied to law school and got in and moved to uh, uh, Omaha, Nebraska to attend Creighton. What was the what was the factor that made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? You know, in when I first started out at WSU, I was a communications major and thought that I wanted to be like the next anchor on Entertainment Tonight. And then I got into those classes and I was like, I don't really like talking in front of people. And so you became a judge who talks <laughs> no. in front of people. <laughs> and I felt like everybody that was in that major was just way more natural at it. Like, I really realized that I was probably a fish out of water. So I thought, this isn't, I don't think this is for me. And I happened to have enrolled in a political science class, and I really liked that. So then I switched my major to that, switched my minor, I didn't even want a communications minor, to women's studies, and then just had to hit it hard because I basically didn't get any credits that transferred from Walla Walla since I didn't do the two years and get the associates. And since I w waited till my second year to change my major and my minor, I had to really uh, buckle down to Catch get up. done. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Not the easy courses senior year you hoped for. Instead, it was all the last of the, like, 400-level courses that you need to take uh, to get your degree. What's that look? 400-level? I took <laughs> math 99 and English 99 <laughs> two or three times. <laughs> hey, added up, you got 300 right I never there. even got to the 200-level. What's this 400 shit? <laughs> <laughs> Why Crichton? Why Nebraska? So, that seems like a far jaunt from here, especially with you being as close to your family as you are. Exactly. And that was one of the things, at, talking about like what you'd encourage your kids to do or to live it up. I had so much more fun, shockingly, in law school than I did in undergraduate. And I don't regret any minute of undergraduate, but because I was so tight with my mom, I came home like every weekend, all four years. I remember at one point my stepfather getting upset with me saying, why are we paying rent for you to live up there when you are home every weekend. So I'd arrange my schedule so I could leave Friday, either morning or afternoon, and then I'd come home and stay until usually Monday morning. So I'd try to make sure my Monday classes weren't too early because I want to hang out with my mom. And so I was like, if I don't move far, I am going to live my entire life within 32 miles of home, A, 
And B, I knew with law school, I had to focus really hard and it was going to be a lot more studying. And I thought I'll probably set myself up for failure because I'll be too distracted by wanting to hang out with my mom. Whereas in Omaha, I I mean, I was so far away from everybody. I had no choice but to just buckle down, zero in and work hard so that I didn't fail out. (laughs) That's how I felt when I went down to California. Oh, I believe it. Was I knew that if I was here, I don't know how serious I would have done in school. And I don't know how serious I would have done in baseball. So I, that was one of the main reasons I went down to California was to just oh, yeah. kind of get away and, you know, get that fresh start, hopefully do better in school and oh, do yeah. better in ball. Plus, then you've actually lived somewhere else. I think, like, back in high school, we'd always say, you can't wait to get out of here. And then you do get out of here, and you're like, I love where I'm from. You know, why was I so excited to leave? And even though JD and I really enjoyed Omaha, he didn't come till my third year, I couldn't wait to come back home to be home smaller community not I mean we lived downtown in a condo and I was tired of the you know concrete jungle I wanted to have a house and a yard and be near family and have a smaller community be able to barbecue yeah (laughs) when did you end up in Florence uh after my third year at Big Ben uh a two-year school thank you (laughs) no it's a four-year I graduated early um (laughs) Uh, yeah, so I believe it was uh, fall of 99. No, no, it was 2000. Did you go when I went to the Jamestown? Yes. Okay. Yeah, right after Big Ben, that fall. So that would have been 2000. Yep, the fall of 2000. Yep. And then you went to LC, and then you went to her. Uh, kind of. <laughs> in a roundabout kind of way? A, yeah, had a few stops in between there. Okay. <laughs> Was it good to see him? Oh, yeah. Give you a little bit of sense of home? Yeah. And that was the thing is that even though Judy and I broke up when I went to Creighton, like the first year, we always kept in touch. Like, he came back on my, my first year, my fall break. And then second and third, well, third year you were there. Second year, he came for Thanksgiving? I, yeah, I don't know. I know I came like three times, I think. Oh, and then when he was working construction... He and this guy that were working in Idaho Falls had to go all the way to Florida, and he stopped off in Omaha to see me on the way there and back, I think. Yeah, but it was just split second. Like, I know, but still. Yeah. Better than nothing. And then, and you know this guy's a gypsy, so if he wouldn't have found me, <laughs> it him probably wouldn't have happened, because there's no way you can find him. <laughs> Damn yeah, cell phones are a joke. It was awesome. I, <laughs> I uh, was very thankful that we always stayed close all those years regardless, and then uh, when I was home for Christmas break, my second year, my grandma died, and him and my grandma were like this. That was when we got back together. And then it was like, okay. Because he was, I had talked about moving back there with me my first year, but again, I was like, I'll get distracted and I'll fail out. So if it's meant to be, it'll happen, and it did. <laughs> Lucky for him. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Lucky for me, too. <laughs> I definitely married up, and she's slumming it. No. <laughs> <laughs> When you're in law school, when do you start figuring out what specificities you want to go into? Because I'm sure you start off just like anybody else. You take your generals, and then you've got to really choose what you want to do. You still have, you know, a variety of courses you can take. Of course, the first years, they have courses they make you take. Um, But I knew from go that I wanted to do criminal law. I didn't. I didn't mind family law, but it wasn't my favorite. I actually had a really good professor in contract law, Mr. Anderson, and uh, he 
made me like that. I ended up not doing a whole lot of contract stuff because it's not really, unless you really specialize in it, it wouldn't be something I would say you could just build a really successful practice for. I shouldn't even say that. I think the reality is, is that when you're in a small town, you have to do a lot of everything. And so when I joined Tom's practice, a lot of that was family law was and the big demand. And you knew you were coming back. Yeah. So at any rate, I pretty quickly on knew that I didn't like business law. You have to take that course. And it was one of the harder courses. So four credits instead of three. And it was everything I could do. I didn't even care. Normally, I want to get an A. If I got a C, I was happy. It was so boring. Yeah. And dry. That's a business law. Yeah. And it sucked. Oh, yeah. And property law? Hate it. Because <laughs> Professor Pearson was a meanie and scary. So after that, I was like, no, I really liked constitutional law, actually. Mm-hmm. But I was like, every time I would say I wanted to do constitutional law, people would say you were born in the wrong era because that was back in I still have my con law book. Four. Oh, do you really? Yeah, and I still pull it out. And I said, oh, you think your classes are bad. Come here. So I pull out the con law book and I start going through that shit. And oh, they, yeah. they're like, oh, my God. I know. I, I can't it's even crazy. read this. I know. <laughs> I forget. You probably did a lot of that stuff because you were a criminal justice major, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Now, that's what I really wish I would have majored in in undergrad. It's criminal justice or criminal law because I just, I love it. That's my favorite. The only bad thing is, is a lot of times, at least when you're practicing, and a lot of the defendants can't afford mm-hmm. to hire an attorney. So you can't do some of those really crazy cases. And I know that we've always had, since it's been such a small community, they need private attorneys to take court-appointed cases. And so I took court-appointed cases uh, in my practice so that I could get the experience to help out the community, obviously. And just for the fun of it. I mean, it was just... You know, some of these people, they are just like you or I. People hear someone's a defendant and they think, oh, my gosh, they're just horrible. That's they're not trying true. to put me in jail. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good people that have made mistakes or they're good people that didn't make a mistake and were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think family law would have been tough because you, you get attached to the kids first and then their story and then whatever happens with them, you feel for the parent even though – that might be a shitty parent, but now the kids are affected. I, I I think that would be tough. Family law was most difficult for me, even though I did so much of it, because I didn't like watching how some people couldn't put their differences aside in order to act in their children's best interests. Like, I don't mean they have to stay together or stay married, but when you're going through the in divorce, the, in, you the, don't, in the realm of divorce. Yeah, you don't need to make it scorched earth. You don't need to do everything you possibly can to make your ex miserable because your kids see that. And I was fortunate enough, and I remember a couple of attorneys saying to me one time, oh, well, aren't you lucky? All your clients are perfect. They've never done anything wrong. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if I have a client or had a client that misbehaved, I'd say, don't do that. And I'd give them a couple chances, but if they were going to keep it up, I wouldn't work for them. Like, be appropriate to your ex. Even if you don't like them, put on a smiling face when you're exchanging your children. Don't talk badly about your ex in front of your kids. Just think about them. Think how you'd feel. And I, I was lucky because my parents divorced when I was like eight, and they, they didn't do that crap. They used, actually, my father used Tom Ledgerwood. My mom didn't have an attorney. They just signed off and... Even though there was a parenting plan, Cameron and I were lucky enough to be able to do pretty much whatever in between households, and and it was great. So I was blessed for that, and a lot of these kids, it makes me really sad for. And I get really sad for my clients, because I feel like I do usually have the nicer one, that, like, the other side's being so mean, and I'm like, why would you do that? 
you know, at one point you loved them, mm-hmm. and they're the parent of your child, and it's not like they murdered someone. You just fell out of love, or things happen, yeah. you know? It's life. My divorce was very simple. We both oh, walked in, filled it out, walked out, had lunch, Aww. and then had lunch, and then she went to her house, and I went to my house. Which so, is wonderful and yeah. rare, sadly. Yeah. Although I do think that in these times where with COVID and people losing jobs, I think people are, are, some are doing better. I've seen more. Maybe I've seen more now that I'm signing stuff more as a judge, but where they're, it's agreed and it's done. And I'm like, thank goodness, because it's when you get into these heavy battles, some of the money people pay their attorneys, they could buy an entire house. Mm-hmm. And I'm exactly. Like, Why would you do that? Just to fight. Yeah. Yep. Just to squabble over, well, which weekend? Oh, no, they didn't, they didn't pick them up on this weekend. I'm going to take you to court. That's just money wasted mm-hmm. on your attorney other than going to your kids for yeah. a vacation. Or, or they were 15 whatever. minutes late, so I left the house so that they couldn't have them. Why would you do that? Yeah. Because then the kid's just disappointed. Like, sorry, mom or dad was a little bit late, but why would you do that and say, okay, haha, you don't get your weekend? Well, we have common friends that you always hear the story that they're being, the kids are being used against them. They're, you know, they're, they don't really want to come over, but mom isn't encouraging them. She just makes them stay. Or, you know, the kids are always being used as a tool to take away from usually the dad. And especially in the state that we live in, it, it's not fair to dads at all. It's coming around. It's come around a lot more in this, these times than it has since um, I started in 2006. I remember there was actually a local rule Judge AC had, and I, this is not to disparage him at all. He's a great guy. He was a great dad. Um, raised a bunch of kids and was super fully involved and still is to this day. But the local rule, because those were the times, was one parent has custody, the other one has every other weekend. And, of course, usually it was the mom that had custody. The dad had every other weekend. And I noticed a trend that over time dads were getting more and more. And that's my kind of default is if I'm looking at a case and they're both very involved parents, just because they split up, when someone presents me with a parenting plan that says dad gets every other weekend, I want to know why. Because those kids need that continuity, and the whole idea in the statutes is to provide the least disruptive, you know, as much as you can in a divorce, environment for kids. So frequent contact with the other parent, you know, whether it's week on, week off, or it's, you know, two, two, three, so... You know, two days with mom, two days with dad, and then they cha- alternate mm-hmm. the weekends. You know, to me, that's ideal. That way those kids keep getting that constant, continuous contact with both parents. Should should it start off with 50-50, week on, week off, it and sh- then work your way down? Or why does it always have to start off with every other weekend, and now we work up? It doesn't anymore. The statute's pretty clear that you're to consider a whole bunch of factors, but the factor to be considered the most is the stability of the relationship between and the bond, the child and each parent. And so in a lot of cases, it's it's there. I mean, you lived in the same household. You had these kids together. You were both always there, even if one parent worked, you know, and the other one didn't. Someone came home at night, and they were still with the kids. They still saw that parent every night. So to me, Usually unless presented, and you can't, you can't ever say this is how I'm always going to rule because every case is different. Mm-hmm. You have to weigh the facts, apply it to the statute, you know, and see what, and come out with your decision. But for the most part, it's rare I've seen any reason why it shouldn't be equal. Absent some sort of domestic violence, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, abandonment, you know, there's several statutory criteria, but I always pay 
very close attention to that, especially since I had a lot of, I represented a lot of dads. And it was just from 2006 on, just fight to get them as much time as I possibly could. I know if it would have been that way every other weekend for me, it, I would have struggled. Oh, yeah. My, because I, I'm at, I'm at, when I, when I, it's different now, but when I first started going, exchanging my kids back and forth, it was tough. The first two or three days, that was tough. And then I knew that they were coming back. So I got three days to go mm-hmm. and then I'd get them back. And then now it's like, all right, it's time to go to mom's house, go fight at your mom's house. And then I get two days and then it's like, all right, now I kind of miss my kids. Yep. So it's kind of reversed a little bit because I like my, your time away. Oh yeah. And I still love my kids, but you need that break. Oh, so. absolutely. I can't imagine. We have two dogs and that's it. And that's where I'm like, I can't imagine how people do it and juggle all the stress, responsibility, life, taking care of two little humans and everything else that comes along with that. I'm like, well, you know what? It's probably good. We just have a couple dogs. But then we leave town or something and someone's watching them. And after day one, we're both like, we miss them. (laughs) Same same thing. Can't wait to get away from them, but then we miss them immediately. (laughs) Um, You brought up Tom. So when you came back from Crichton, did you already have a job ready waiting for you? Did you have to apply? What was your process? Okay, so I love this story. And I won't cry because it's not his retirement. Because when I had to give a speech his retirement, which I hated, by the way. <laughs> I still, public speaking is just, if you're doing it for your job, that's completely different than doing it like everybody's staring at you and it's something personal. At any rate, I sent out applications to pretty much every attorney in the Valley possible that I could think of, you know, going through the phone book, because of course, that was we how had it was phone back, books then. back then. Yeah. And the only person who answered me was Tom. And I've known him since I was a kid from Holy Family. And uh, he, I went in for, did I even go in for an interview? Uh, you know, I don't know, but you're, you're talking about just your first year after law school, just coming back and interning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I came back, and I interned for him the first, after the summer after my first year. And then he said, you know, you're welcome to come back the summer after second year. And then after that, he said, if you, you know, are coming back, you're welcome to come back again. And if you pass the bar, I'll hire you as an associate. And everybody knows Tom's a longtime attorney in the Valley, and, I mean, retired now, and to me, the best. And uh, he said that I was only the second person he ever offered a position to, and the first one declined because he ended up going to work for the FBI. Mm. And so I, I feel very grateful that, you know, he gave me that opportunity because everybody else was like, well, no, we pull from U of I. I'm from here, people. Yeah. I just chose to go somewhere further away, but none of them would even give me a chance. I think maybe a couple wrote back and said, thanks, but we go to U of I, you know, not anywhere else, which is cool. I understand. At least they were honest. Yeah, exactly. And other ones I didn't even hear from. And that was one thing Tom said to me. You never not respond because that, you know, you discourage these upcoming lawyers. So, you know, at least have the courtesy and respect to respond. And he did. And thank God he said, <laughs> come on over and come work for me. <laughs> That's uh, when I applied for the sheriff's department over for Nespers County. I was the only one from the valley that applied. So I was like, well, this is cool. We got a pretty good shot then. And they already had somebody picked out, I'm sure, from Boise. I found out it was one of the captain's cousins or nephews or whatever. But to not even be considered for the spot, I just shook my head at. I'm, I'm from here. Why would you not want me? And I don't think that it should be some sort of, I guess it's not nepotism since it's usually a familial connection, but 
I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think you should do that. It's the best candidate. Like I was telling you earlier, my assistant from my law practice applied for the CASA job, and we had several great candidates, and she was the best, so she got it. You know, if she wouldn't have been, she wouldn't have got it. It should be on your merit, not on who you know. Yeah. Yep. No, I hate that as well. And I hate that, especially coaching baseball, because something that I can relate to, we can relate to. It's not about who the players are. It's about the talent level on the field. I don't care if your dad owns Potlatch Mill, Clearwater Paper. You're, if he's not as good as the next guy, the next guy is better, then the next guy is going to play, not him. That's how I, don't know, that's how I Absolutely. go about coaching. Which is good because I always, again, we don't have kids, but I hear friends' stories, and I'm like, it, that should not ever be that way where your child isn't playing because somebody else's parent has more name recognition or money or whatever it may be. <laughs> on the way back how are what are you thinking how are you feeling thinking she's moving back to Clarkston where were uh, you at actually I, we, I was actually her last year of law school her third year um, I moved there that August so her last year of law school I was living in Omaha with her we had an apartment so yeah we knew August 2005 yeah we knew we were basically coming back so I moved there was only there for a year. Uh, was working for a contractor building homes her last year, and then yeah, we already pretty much had a plan that. Were you excited when she? Uh, yeah, I've always I've kind of lived a lot of different places, but the valley's always been home. Yeah, home to me, near to my heart. Uh, now, if I had my choice, I'd be on the beach in Florida. Florida, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, he always uh, said you were yeah, I was, us. Clarkston <laughs> will always be home, but I don't really care for the other side of the fucking river. Oh. What? I can say that. Yeah, we could swear on her. Yeah. In Lewiston. Yeah. <laughs> Banny Rooster. I always, I always, when, when I talk to somebody about, you know, Lewis and Clarkston, I said, yeah, but the good side's on this side. Yeah. Except for we're affiliated with the state of Washington, which sucks ass. Yeah, that, but <laughs> I, I, yeah, I want to be in Lewiston. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's always been home. I, you know, I, I think I I spent some time before I could remember. I was like two years old. We lived here, and then my parents moved away, and then I came back uh, and went kindergarten through fifth grade here, and then we moved over to Seattle area for like a year and a half, and then came back sixth through graduation. Uh, you know, um, my family don't live any, here anymore besides my brother. He's the only one that stayed here. But all pretty much most of my friends or my friends' family, like, like you, you can come back uh there's not a lot of us in our graduating class that still hang around but mm-hmm. uh yeah it's just home we don't really even see anybody half the time i don't like living in snow um the white you want to be is on a beach not in the not in the snow well i'd like to go like snow skiing and stuff like that but i don't want to live Ap- in appalachian it mountains are right there yeah. <laughs> or App- appalachian appalachian, I appalachian? Think? Yeah, that's what i say i don't know if i'm right <laughs> Um, you, when you guys did move back, uh, and this is over probably what a six year period, you started with Tom, married this schlub. What do I got in my notes? 2006, I moved back. 2008, we got married. Made, made partner in that time frame? Made partner. What were your emotions like through all of that time? Was it, was it a roller coaster? Oh, it was, was a it coaster. just straight up? No, it was a roller coaster. I feel... Top you off? Yeah. I feel like 
I hate people say I feel like. I remember the first time I said that in class in law school and it got cut off. You don't feel. You state your position. But feeling. It's it's one of those things where it's so stressful. Hence, back to the whole kids shouldn't worry about so much stuff when they're younger. I mean, it's it was so stressful. And it's especially when you do a lot of family law. Because when Tom hired me, his whole thing was, I don't want to do a lot of family law anymore. I like the criminal stuff. That's going to be all you. So, majority of my cases were family law. So, what you didn't want to do in college, that's what you got thrown into when you got here. Yeah. And better than business law, though. Better than business law. <laughs> just because that at least right. I can stay awake. <laughs> and so, I started doing it. And it was just, it's so emotional. You feel so bad for your clients. And I think the worst part about it, even other than the people misbehaving to one another, were the attorneys. And only a certain select few who shall rename, who shall remain, who shall remain unnamed, uh, that just were turds. Like they'd write you these letters and they just, you know, completely say horrible things about your client in the letter that serve no purpose other than to inflame the case, which I'm sure meant to bill more dollars. And it would just really upset me. And I remember going to Tom a few times and I'd write this letter back and he'd say, no, that's the letter you write before you actually write the letter you will send. Because I just, I didn't understand why they had to behave that way. You know, it doesn't do, we're supposed to be helping these people through a difficult process, not making it more difficult. And so that was the part where there was times um, I really just didn't want to do it anymore. And I remember JD telling me, he's always really understanding and sweet, but he knows when he needs to do tough love. And he just said, hey, quit complaining. You picked it. Now suck it up, mm-hmm. figure out a way to deal with it, and do it. And I did. But, yeah, it definitely wasn't any sort of straight up. It was definitely roller coaster type thing. And then when I made partner, that was wonderful. It was interesting because it wasn't like you see on TV. You don't make partner. You buy in. <laughs> you buy in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So it's not you walk in and it's a party. There's a cake there. No. Congratulations. You sign a contract and you write some checks. <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks. I'm going to buy my way in now. <laughs> Shit. So then we went from the law offices of Thomas Ledgerwood to Ledgerwood and Burns. Mm-hmm. And then obviously he retired in the end of January, or sorry, excuse me, the end of the year in 2018. So January 2019, it was just me. And it, but it was still Ledgerwood and Burns, and I always thought to myself, why do I keep that name? So then I just started my own. Okay. <laughs> and what what's the process of that? Did you have to kind of clear that with them? Did you... No, we we just basically agreed that would be, you know. Thank you, sir. He was retired, some. so it didn't matter. Now, if I would have defaulted on my contractual obligations to him, that would have been a problem, but I didn't. You know, we, I started my own practice. I still finished out, you know, the deal with uh, his and I's old uh, business. And just basically, I didn't need this big a building anymore. Like, the building we were in was his, and um, I, I just couldn't justify having such a huge building with just me and one assistant and, of course, my trustworthy bookkeeper, J.D. Burns. And so we moved to a smaller space, uh, created Brooke Burns Law, and, yeah, made a whole lot of sense, too, because I did it for a whole year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> year and a little over half, yeah. And it's then... been a heck of a last couple years, Kevin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to get into that last I got year. Some, I got some gr- <laughs> a lot more gray now. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And about... Mm, let's say 50 extra pounds. <laughs> were your first cases, were you nervous? Oh, God, yeah. 
it's I was lucky enough to have someone to mentor me like Tom because a lot of new lawyers I see them in court and I I not now so not talking about anybody now I'm saying when I first started and over the years and I kept thinking why is nobody like helping them and mentoring them I think it helped me that I took trial team the only class I callied in law school which means the highest grade nobody's helping them and you don't learn how to practice law in law school you know they terrorize you and you have to pass all their hard tests and all that but they don't teach you how to practice and so to me that was a benefit having that the internships and having it uh, working for an attorney that was a trial attorney so that he could show me everything and he did far more areas of law than I ever did or would do and that was super helpful um, because when you go in there it's daunting and now the majority of the bar seems to be female back then I was like one of three Mm. and so there's all these older gentlemen that have been doing it for a long time and they have no problem trying to just kind of take over and push you you out of the way push you out of the way the very first hearing and I'm going to call you out Scott Broyles I had, it was my motion, and I was sitting at council table, and he was sitting at the other council table, and they called the case, and I was waiting for Judge AC to say, go ahead, Attorney Shin, at that time, it's your motion, and Scott Broyles just stood up and went to the podium and started arguing, and I'm like, what just happened? So it should be my motion, I go first, then he goes, then I go. Instead, he went, and then I went, and then he went, and I maybe said, hey, wait, I get the last word, it's my motion. And afterwards, I said to Tom, what was that all about? And he goes, next time, don't even wait. Go stand yourself up at the podium so they are clear you are first. And ever since then, I've done that every single time. And I remember one time, Judge AC, a couple times telling me, I, I don't need any argument. I already know you can go ahead and sit down. I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> fine. But I'm just making sure if it's my motion, I go first. <laughs> was, that, was he just trying to go, well, she's a rookie. I'm going to try to pull a move here. Oh, I'm sure. Is that what it was? Anybody who knows Scott knows that he's such a nice guy. He's just a goofball. And he was the way he was. Everybody would call him this notorious bulldog attorney. So he was just going to do what he was going to do. But, you know, he was always, you know, kind to me for the most part outside of court. And you just kind of have to laugh because that's just good old Scott. (laughs) Were you nervous for her? Uh, No, yeah, because she can, yeah. She I mean, we, she wants, we, yeah. we've known her a long time. She doesn't yeah. lose many arguments. Yeah. <laughs> now it's official. Yet to win one, she she'll sit there and say that I have, but I don't. I don't remember them. <laughs> you got to keep a calendar or something in your phone now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I won it on this date, and shit. Um, maybe no, not that one. That one. <laughs> yeah, but I always knew she'd do good. She's. Way smarter and more intelligent than she gives herself credit for. And that's also, it's not a flaw. I think it's a good thing. I mean, um, it's not great to be arrogant. Like, even though some people maybe said I was at certain things or, yeah. But um, it's nice to be able to have someone that, I don't know what you'd say the word, uh, be recognized for your ability. Some humility in what she's doing. Yeah, she's not, yeah. I think she's the king shit on Turd Island, so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I knew she'd always do good in anything she wanted to do. Any cases that stand out from when you, you don't have to give names or details or anything, but is there any cases that stand out? One in particular. 
and I have to make sure I don't cry because I always cry about it. It was a family law case that had to do with uh, not between parents. And I know I can say it because the client and I are friends and she doesn't care. I won't say the names, but I, it went up. I kept winning and I kept winning and I kept winning at the trial court level. And it went up to the court of appeals and I lost. And um, I will never forget, which meant this person did not have this child anymore. And this child had to go back to a, a certain location with a certain individual. And um, I'll never forget just crying. And to this day, like I said, when I talk about it, it makes me so upset. Because the law is not always fair. You know? I mean, no offense, court of appeals, but sometimes, you know, I don't think they get it right. And it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. But those are the kind of cases I hate. I remember, like, telling JD, all these lawyers talk about all these cases that they won. And then I, I don't ever think about those. The ones that really stick with me are the ones that I lost. And that one was a huge loss that I will never forget. And it still haunts me to this day. And those people were amazing. And, you know, they didn't blame me. You know, and I don't think I did anything wrong. It's just the way it shook out. And it sucked. And I feel bad for that poor child. But, you know, there's nothing I could do. It's out of my hands. Um, otherwise, you know, you have those certain cases of clients you really like, which is nice because especially doing so much family law, it, you know, you think it would get kind of to the point where I would be in a bad mood if I was going through what some of these people were going through. And, you know, some of them just so rise above and are wonderful people. And even after their worst day or a hearing they won, but they still had to pay me to go do win for them something that they should have, the other side should have just conceded. Yeah, Yeah. and then they'll send me flowers or something like that. So it's more like I think about some of those very sweet, sweet people that uh, have been very kind to me, and I I appreciate them very much so because you don't, sometimes clients aren't always kind. (laughs) Do you have any underdog stories where you were not given a shot in the world? Or is it not, is this too small of a town for something like that? Like you're thinking like a movie like a Civil Action or Aaron Brockovich Uh, type stuff? Not not nothing that big, but I mean something where where you're like, you knew it was a long shot going in and then you won. I can't really think of anything just because of the nature of my practice, how it was. And... I would always encourage clients to settle it if I thought they weren't going to get what they wanted. And you know, Tom used to always say that the number of trials you have should be minimal because if if everybody's being reasonable, you should be able to settle it. And so I can't really think of anything where that was a factor. Um, what I can say is that as a previous defense attorney, and I don't have any sort of favoritisms towards defense, but I always felt like it was interesting that when you walk into the courtroom, even though the burden of proof is on the state, to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, most people are looking at the defense to say, prove you're innocent. And that's not the standard. No. And it's amazing how many times people really do talk about it and think about it that way. And I know JD's so funny because we'll sit there and watch these state lines and all these shows, and I'll be like going off. And he used to say, oh, geez, Brooke, it's just a show. But now he does it, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they have to prove them guilty. They have to prove themselves innocent. And I'm like, exactly. How you many know? times have you guys been on opposite podiums? You're watching a show like that. How many times? Uh, not very often, I don't think. Usually we're on the yeah. same page. Every so often, though, it'll be 
different. And usually what's funny is the few times it has been different, I'll think, I'll think the person's guilty. And he'll be like, that's baloney. This, this, this. And I'm like, yeah, I can see your point. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily agree, but I see where you're coming from. <laughs> this is a mid-roll read. Crave Eats, Drinks, and Nightlife, downtown Spokane. They've updated some items on the menu. Come check out the all-new B-L-A-T, bacon, lettuce, fried avocado, and tomato. This comes with a side of fries or tots. Also, dive into the crispy fried buffalo cauliflower. Yes, I did say cauliflower, and yes, they are amazing. Crave Eats, downtown Spokane. When did the thought of Superior Court judge come into your mind? After, uh, well, basically, once the position became open, was what? We had to put in for election May of 2020. And prior to that, we talked about who's it going to be, who's it going to be. And I had really tried to encourage uh, District Court Judge Tina Kernan to run for it because she's been practicing or in the field longer than I have, and I think she's a great judge. And she was considering it, and I said, well, if you, if you do it, then I'll put in for District Court. But if you don't do it, I'll probably put in for Superior Court because I don't know what else – I don't know who else would or what we're going to do. And I knew that District Court Judge in Columbia County, Scott Marinella, was going to – put in for it and I knew that local defense attorney Vic Bottomley was going to put in for it and uh, they're both you know great people but I just thought to myself you know I don't see that being a long-term position for them because they were both I think Vic's like what do you tell us like 63 and Marinella's like 65 or something yeah so then we're back to square one and or, I mean, the, the age-out age for a judge is like 75. So I thought to myself, well, where does that get us? Because historically, usually the judges are there for quite a while. And so I was kind of complaining about it. And JD's like, well, instead of complaining, why don't you do it? I'm like, what do you mean, why don't I do it? That's weird. And he's like, Man of not. wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so our new quote, <laughs> courtesy of JD, was WWJDD. Instead of what would Jesus do, what would, what would JD, JD do? do? Hence the extra D. And one of my dear friends. It hasn't caught on yet. (laughs) It hasn't caught on yet. (laughs) One of my dear friends, and he's my, one of my court commissioners, Dave Risley, said to me, every time something's happened these last couple years, he's told me something, and I'm like, that's what JD said. And he always says, he's a smart man. You should listen to him more. I'm like, I know. I actually should show you. And now you you know this, because she said it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, She's lying. Dave must drink a lot. I don't think he does. But, uh, yeah, I must have buffaloed him somehow, but, yeah. I know. It's so funny. He just, yeah. So, JD was suggested it, and then we talked about it, and I was like, okay. And I really honestly wasn't even sure until the morning that you had to put in. It's a week-long period, but everybody's, like, racing to do it first thing Monday morning. I didn't. I took my time. I got to work. I started getting texts from, like, my dad I think JD, Dave Risley, did you do it yet? Did you do it yet? <gasps> and my assistant, Adrian Crawl, looks like Kroll, but it's Crawl. She's wonderful, her former assistant. She was like, come on. And so we pulled up the page and I filled out all the stuff and put in 
because you have to pay like $2,000 just to, a, just to enter the race. And so I put all that in and she's standing next to me and I go, are we really going to do this? And she's like, yep. And so I hit click and did it. And I was like, I can't believe I just did that because I really wasn't sure until that actual morning. I mean, I just, I loved and love practicing law. So I was like, this is going to be such a change. But at the same time, I wanted some sort of continuity if I would win for the community. You know, like, let's get someone in there. I'm going to be 42 soon. If the retirement age is 75 and I keep hanging on in there and my brain doesn't fade or people don't get tired of me, that would give some continuity. Do you have to get reelected then every year? Every four years. Every four years? Okay. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out, too, with this, to Judge David Frazier. He retired from Whitman County. He is... Just a remarkable man. and He, he probably would, pushed you more than I did. He pushed me. He would text me almost daily. Judge Brooke Jennifer Burns. And I do the voice because that's kind of how he talks. And I'm like, Frage, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know. You know, I have to get my practice, all this stuff. He'd say, no, baloney. You're going to do it. And I'm saying baloney, even though that may not be the word he said, because I have to follow these guidelines, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad has run before. Oh, yeah. So he kind of gave you some advice on the first steps and how to approach it. And He he was, dad was awesome. He was, you know, it, it's kind of tough. I felt bad for him because he's been a county commissioner for a while. And it seemed as if people were trying to act as if there'd be a conflict by him being a commissioner and me being the judge, you know, and, you know, basically smack talking. And dad and I don't run negative campaigns, so we didn't do that. But he was so super supportive. But I remember at one point thinking and maybe even saying to J.D., you know, if that's how it's going to be, then dad, I'd rather him have the commissioner position than me be judge because this is ridiculous. You know, it, it, it just seems so unfair to, I mean, whoever said life's fair, right? But to sit there, people who don't even know us, to act as if there's going to be some sort of collusion. And so, I, yeah, I appreciated what he went through and he, it didn't deter him one bit or me because, you know, we support each other, but at the same time, you have a job to do. Again, back to the, you can't have nepotism. You can't be sitting there favoring somebody because of who they are. And if anyone knows my dad, they know that the person he's going to tell the most who he disagrees with is someone he cares about. He's never shied away from telling me, I completely disagree with you on various things. So it's not going to be any favoritism or things of that nature. That's that's the thing that really annoyed me. But yeah, he was. Was he thinking of dropping out? No. Just like you were thinking of dropping out? No, and I didn't even tell him I was. I mean, I was never going to drop out. I'm not a quitter. But to me, my thought was, if anything, you know, we both just took the approach of not even responding to it because that gives it attention it doesn't deserve. But there were a couple times I wanted to say, you know, this is ridiculous. And, you know, for all I care, fine, then don't vote for me, vote for him. Like, he's doing a good job for our community he cares about it. He's invested. He quit his business of, since I was born, 30, oh, I'm not that young. So that would have been last year, 41 years. Uh, I thought you were 27 as well. I know, right? I'm 27. <laughs> I don't know. Right? How old are you? I'm uh, I'm 63. <laughs> <laughs> he had a radio talk show, Opinion Please, forever, for as long as I can remember since I was a kid. He gave that up just to devote 100% of his time to being a court or court commissioner, a county commissioner. And so that's that's where I was just like, you know, people need to re- actually have some facts or evidence before you just start spewing no, things No, it's quicker off. just to start speaking without knowing what you're talking about. Right. 
politicians do that all the time. They can say whatever they want, and if they're not held accountable for what they say, sky's blue, sky's pink, sky's purple. It don't matter. No one's going to hold them accountable for what they say. Oh, I know. He and I, I think, did a good job of just not responding to that stuff at all. It's just, it's not even worth it. It's not worth your time or energy. And if somebody's hitting those kind of lows, then that means that they are intimidated by you and they got nothing else. (laughs) What is the role of a Superior Court judge? What do they do? So. What do you do? Yes. I was thinking to myself that what I would do was get up there and read files and hear arguments and make decisions, and that would be it. But there's a lot more to it. Uh, I'm not going to lie and say I'm a big fan of the administrative part of it. You know, you got to be mindful of your budget. You know, we're in a rough situation because we only have one contracted public defender, and local defense attorneys and defense attorneys that are not local have been so gracious to us to help us out to be appointed to some of these court-appointed cases. And uh, so you're trying to be mindful of who you're appointing to what, especially because if, for example, the attorney's not Class A felony qualified, they have to have a supervisor. Well, that means I pay two attorneys, and I can't do that. That's not budget-wise, and it's going to cost, you know, the county more money. So there's a lot of those kind of factors that come into play uh, since the Superior Court judges over the juveniles uh, program and uh, CASA program, you're paying attention to that stuff as well, which includes things I've never dealt with, like grants, like VOCA grants, things like that. And Adrian, who got that job, is incredible because in the job interviews, we were very honest with all of the candidates that the county's poor, we don't have money for training. And most people wanted you know, training, and Adrian is one of those people that's just a go-getter. She's just invaluable. Just jump in and let's yep. fucking she's learn. She's like, okay, understood. I can do it. And she's, you know, has a background in dealing with children. And so she she jumped in with both feet and has done it pretty much on her own. And she has some assistance from the court administrator and because she's been there for like five years. So she, she knows that stuff. I don't. I know what CASA is. I know the program, but all the background knowledge. So there's... There's a lot of that. It's I've joked with JD at times that it feels more like your referee than judge, and I don't need a robe. I need a referee jersey <laughs> with the black and white stripes. Earl Hebner. Yeah, not not a fan of that kind of stuff, but but for the most part, it it just seems like it's not as much courtroom law making decision focused as I thought it would be, but nonetheless, at least, yeah, that plus administrative and pretty much what I do every day. So just when you thought you were past the roller coasters through the making partner, buying partner, getting married, having the place become yourself, you're like, all right, now we're in an even keel. Now you're back in that roller coaster. <laughs> Tell us how the election process went. Oh, Lord. So elections are not for the faint of heart. I did not like it at all. JD said afterwards, I hope that if you run again in four years... Nobody runs against you because this was a real big pain. You're constantly on sign patrol, is what we'd call it. it we did it get so windy down here. We'd have these huge signs. One, a couple of them ripped in half. The oh. wind was so bad. So we'd try and go, and God bless Jeremy and Nancy Burt. They were so helpful to us. And John Everett. John Jenna Everett, Kirk. Jenna Kirk. Helped us out a couple yeah, times. They just, people would go around and, and tell us if, 
you know, our signs are screwed up or go fix them for us. JD had hurt his back, so he couldn't do it. And I am not, <laughs> I'm not savvy at that kind of stuff. So Bert would go do it. And we're talking like have to like repound the stakes into the ground and things of that nature. And then the candidate forums, I didn't really mind so much other than like what I said, you're staring at yourself on a screen and I didn't like that. <laughs> little, a little nerve wracking just because, I don't know, just nerve wracking. Um, but I, what I didn't like again goes back to like the negativity. You know, Them even always if, trying to undercut you. Yeah. Not, and this is what bothers me about politicians is I want to know what you're for. I don't give a shit about what the other guy's doing to you to make you feel bad. What are you for? Mm-hmm. I want you to run on what you are, not what the other person isn't. Because I don't care. I'm not, I don't want to look, I'm looking at you for what you're for. Well, and I liked how JD worded it when we were talking about it. What did you say after one, a couple of those candidate forums? Um, I don't know. Which, Just, what are you getting at? The like, whole part, part of when I give my <laughs> spiel... I would say these are the things I want to focus on. In my yeah, in my opinion, I could be biased. Obviously, it's my wife, but uh, anytime there's a question answered, um, Brooke would answer the question and then some. And it seemed like some of the other candidates would maybe just piggyback off what she said, and then. You'd rotate questions. So if Brooke went first on one question, then the other candidate would go first the next time. Or if there was three of them, they would go in a – yeah, they would just always switch up the order. So the one person ain't going first all the time. Mm-hmm. But if the other candidate was going uh, first, you wouldn't even address you – know, I'm saying too much. But uh, they That's wouldn't – editing's for. Sorry, yeah. it's only international yeah, podcast. Exactly. No, yeah. no, no, no stress. Yeah, they would uh, not – answer the question directly and just go on about how qualified they are they are, and how unqualified Brooke is because they're older. And I told her, well, no shit. That's a well, shitty response. Would you, would you rather have Russell Wilson quarterbacking you right now or would you rather have Roger Staubach? Like, <laughs> fucking Roger Staubach won fucking more Super Bowls. <laughs> that fucker can barely walk. Yep. I'd take Russell Wilson right now. That's right. And that was the tough part. You're Russell Wilson. <laughs> Except for no, no, we're, okay. we're Tom Brady fans around here. I was just making comparisons so Washingtonians could relate. Washingtonians, I hate that fucking word. Washingtonians, goodness. You guys are going to get me in trouble. You can't be ripping on Washington. I'm a Supreme Court judge for the state of Washington. Brooke Burns has no affiliation with the comments that are coming out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the tough part. Is that especially when you know people that don't even know you i'm not just saying no I, clue at all who you are oh yeah and saying things about you and i just thought to myself wow so that was a good way to keep me off of any sort of social media like looking you know because i just yeah. i that blew me out of the water yeah you always think of like the big slander campaigns as being like presidential or maybe gubernatorial but not like at the local level, like that we were at. Like, but it's ridiculous. Like people stealing signs out of their that yards. was the biggest frustration. Or, signs cost yeah. money, people. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was one of the things that you know I get texts. My sign was stolen again, and you know you just hope for the best and don't want to 
point fingers, but maybe the wind blew him away, that kind of thing. But it just kind of got to the point where Bert was good about that a few times because I would finally hit my boiling level and say, this is what I want to do. And Bert would say, no. Whisper it to my ear and yeah. I'll take care of it. Yeah. Because he would be sometimes the one going and delivering him. And GD, I mean, did so much as well. I mean, that's what I'm saying. But, you know, GD's, well, you're used to mellowing me out. <laughs> yeah. But I think you were frustrated too at one point, And that's when we were just talking oh, to Bert. Yeah. I was definitely frustrated, but <laughs> I'm definitely more mellow than you. <laughs> well, we're, we're both of the same. We don't want to do things two, three, four times. Yeah. We did it right the first time. It should just stay done right that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not go back and then redo it again and then again. Uh, to me, that would frustrate me as well. Yeah. And I have to give a shout out to Ryan Turnbow too, because he was amazing. He's at Printcraft Printing. That's his business. And they were awesome at quick turnaround and getting us signs again, because either they blew away or were stolen or whatever happened to him. And so we had to get more because people were requesting them. And I felt bad because I didn't want to make them wait. And so he'd hurry up and get them done. And even if he could only do so many at a time, he'd run down and get them and we'd go replace them or he'd go replace them. I'm very blessed to have a good support team. Yeah. Couldn't have done it without any of them. That's why I'm hoping she runs unopposed in four years. <laughs> I don't have to put out as many signs. <laughs> well, <laughs> only one on the ballot. Like, you vote for yourself, you're in, right? Yeah. Like, that's, I only need <laughs> one. I need one vote. <laughs> Are you thinking of, obviously you're thinking of re-election. That's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. I'm not even thinking about it actually at this point. Like, Judy would joke and say that. But to me, I'm just thinking one little bit at a time. You know, my goal in uh, running for this, and doing this job, like I said, was continuity for the community. The three communities, since it's a Soton, Garfield, and Columbia counties. And I've enjoyed it for the most part thus far. It's just that idea of, we'll just see, you know, how it keeps going. You know, I just, I don't want to promise anything that can't be promised. It's just, you know, I just want to take it one day at a time. Because it's a big change. When you're, when you're, and I'm sure your dad, have you talked to your dad about how do you go about re-election? Because you, I, I would think that you would want to store things, those good things that you do, kind of put them in a file. And then once your re-election comes around, you go, copy, paste, this is what I did. Hey, that's a good idea, Kevin. I hadn't even thought that far ahead yet. And I certainly haven't asked Dad about it. It's been more like sipping water from a fire hose. Because between COVID and not having a judge the last two years, it's just like coming at you all the time. And then we've had some crazy decisions come down and changes in legislation that are creating chaos for everyone and for everyone. But at the same time, we're the ones that didn't have a judge for the last two years. So that makes it even more tough. So it's, it's, it's a lot. Have you had to do things virtual over zoom? Yep. We have zoom. We have telephonic appearances. We have to try to make sure everybody's spaced out in court. You know, when they do come to court, I'm just really looking forward to, and we're blessed over here because I know it hit COVID hit the other areas of Washington harder and so I was shocked to hear that even right now, a lot of the people on the west side aren't back to work. They're still working from home. And we're, I mean, we're doing trials. Like this next week, I have to go cover two days of Whitman County's docket because I had a conflict on the case. So Judge Levy will be down here covering a three-day jury trial uh, in Asotan County. So it, we're going. A lot, of, 
places aren't, and they're in person. We're doing it with the fire station, or fire hall, whatever they call it, um, in the Clarkston Heights, because it's huge, and you can spread them out, whereas our Superior Court, you can't do that. It's not big enough. Okay. So you're you're mobile. Yep. We're then. going. Thank goodness. I don't like the whole Zoom thing. I know you have to kind of do that stuff this day and age, but technology, I get very frustrated quickly when it doesn't work perfectly. And so, for example, that was yesterday, I think, we had a defendant at the jail on the video link with his attorney. And then we were all in court, meaning the prosecution and myself and the clerk. And then we had a witness on the phone. And if anybody made a noise, it would cut out the link at the jail and we couldn't hear the defense attorney. And finally, I said, okay, we're going to have to recess this and have it so that the defendant and the attorney can come out here. And then we can just have the one guy on the phone. That way, we can all hear each other. Because if I can't hear you, how do I know what you're arguing? And then I can't make a fair decision. That what you just described right there was the same problem that my son's teacher was having. They would make the littlest of sounds and it would cut her off. My son goes, oh, you need to do this, click, 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 and... That solved the problem. Oh, I don't know wonderful. how he knows this shit. I know, but right? He he knows. So if you need him, I'll put him on retainer for you. Right. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. We'll tell people sometimes. Can you please go click your mute button? And this poor gentleman, bless his heart, he was just trying to help a friend out, and he was at work, and it's loud inside, but the wind's blowing outside, so it's kind of one of those things where he couldn't help it. But I I felt bad, but I was like, I can't. It's cutting off all the noise, so I can't. I could hardly even hear myself think it was so loud. So I was like, "We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do something different." You won the election, mm-hmm. and Facebook went crazy because I was a part <laughs> of that myself. I love it. Thank you. January eleventh. How are you feeling? That was the day that you were sworn into office. What were you feeling? Excited, nervous, and like it wasn't real. I was very thankful to have Judge Frazier there to swear me in, and I was very thankful to have J.D. there with me and my other supporters. It was difficult because the maximum was 10 people, so I could only invite 10 people, and I did, and there were more people than 10 people there. Um, but that it's a public courtroom. I can't close it. It wasn't me who did it, but I just remember being <laughs> really excited, really nervous, and feeling like it wasn't real. And then Judge Frazier came up with the idea of J.D. robing me. So once he swore me in and gave a little funny speech about when he first met me, he thought I was a total ditz. <laughs> Jiggy put my robe on me, and it was great. He goes, and may I say, this is a little bit odd, but you may now kiss the judge. Notice I do the voice every time because that's right. how he talks. <laughs> you got to meet him sometime, Kevin. He's the best guy. He's actually in Las Vegas right now with his son, Bert. Although I don't want to give Bert a shout-out because when they called me earlier, he called me dumb. <laughs> Damn you. And you're thinking, no more signs, yes. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the election was over, I was like... But you had to have been proud of her. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Super proud. <laughs> so, I wrote down in my notes, what's next? But you, you kind of can't think too far in the future because you don't really know what is next. I don't. I just, to me, it's getting through day by day. I think I'm getting more used to it. Day by day, just the process. Like, for example, this lawn motion week, so they call them. Monday, I'm in Asotan County for the criminal docket. Tuesday, I'm in Asotan County for the civil docket. Wednesday, I'm in uh, Garfield County for criminal and civil. And then in the 
like at 8.30 in the morning. Then by 11, I have to be to Columbia County for their criminal and civil. And then that goes the rest of the day. So I usually don't get home until about, depending on how fast the docket goes, six. Yeah, usually, yeah, around six. Around six. And then that's like pretty much every other week. And now, like, for example, this next week, I'm doing Whitman counties for two days, so I'll be up there doing those. So I'm like, oh, my brain's going to fall out of my head by the time I'm done. But it's just more like taking it day by day, stride by stride, and making sure I go in and review all the files and take all my notes and that I'm ready and prepared. Because there's nothing worse than, as an attorney, I felt, appearing before someone who you could tell didn't read what you filed. Because you work hard to do that stuff. People want resolution. So unless it's something crazy, I'm going to try and rule right then and there, not wait. You know, and if I do have to wait, I try and get it out real quick. How many different calendars do you run so you can keep track of everywhere you're going? So Walla Walla County takes our conflict, so we take theirs as well. So I have a Soton, Garfield, and Columbia that are mine, and then I fill in when they need me or take conflict cases in Whitman and Walla Walla. I remember Judge AC telling me occasionally you'll have to do that in Tri-Cities as well, but right now I have five of those on there plus the, like the personal one that the public can't see to keep track of my life, which is... Glad that JD's there to keep track of it because I don't know what's going on half the time, especially like dog vet appointments or dentist appointment, things like that. So I think probably about six. Six different calendars. Yeah, and it's really stressful. I run I don't three, like it. so so it's not that bad. But I run three. Yeah, it's I just go ah. Uh, so I check it like eight hundred times a day, and it's awful because you got the tiny. Well, it's not tiny, but computer screen. So we're working on trying to get like a bigger screen in my. Uh, office in Asotan County because that's where I spend a majority of my time that will constantly have the calendar displayed Mm -hmm. so I can see it at all times because I like I said I just keep on the smaller screens you have to click you know certain buttons plus three more events and I just I find myself doing it every hour or two one of the big ones from Staples right out of my kitchen because that's where I always pass to go to the laundry downstairs to the kids rooms out the front door but it's right there and on my phone you know, you've got the little tiny blub, which I'll see, and but you miss things. You do. Uh, so that's why I started using that. And then I've got my other board that I write down dates. I write down appointments. That oh, yeah. it's just kind of all thrown together on that board. So I guess in actuality, I have two calendars, but I count that one because it, it is a date saver for me. But You just have to. Otherwise, it's like you lose track of things so quickly. I hate that. And I don't want to miss anything. And so far... I've only had one scheduling faux pas where I was like, what is going on here? I didn't miss anything. It was a matter of them thinking I wasn't available, but I was, and I was on my way there when I got this weird notification, and, it, you know, it was fine. But nonetheless, to me, that's that's a big thing. I've never just missed a court date. I've never had anything like that happen, and I don't anticipate it will in the future either because that's I'm just – very more prepared yeah well i'm yeah and i'm just very anal about that kind of stuff i don't like it people are late i'm not going to be late if i am i'm panicking and calling and i can think of just a couple times over the last 14 years where if i was going to be late even a minute i'd have be calling the clerk's office as i was headed out to court saying i'm stuck behind a semi or it's my own fault i was stuck on the phone i'll be there i might be a minute late but i will be there is that something that you've had to learn how to do is scheduling, <laughs> keeping uh, her on track? No. Yeah, I've, I've still never learned that. <laughs> <laughs> He's gotten a million times better. 
Well, you have to pick up everything else. So I'm assuming that you learned, you adapted and and came through on those on on running the household and yeah, taking I, the dogs to the vets and. I guess yeah, I do a lot of that, but um, it's because she tells me when it <laughs> needs to happen. Here I'm trying to give him some credit, and he goes, "No, it's all on her." He's not giving himself enough credit because it's the other day I had on the calendar motley vet question mark he goes i don't even know what you're talking about it's not motley it's Bo. but i wasn't totally wrong because he got to the vet with Bo, and then they said motley's due for something so he had to go back again the next day but that again i was my bad i didn't call and make the appointment for mott so whatever there's just so many balls in the air you're juggling at all times i can't i can't even imagine well like i said though it's me and him and a couple pups you got a lot of stuff you're juggling Mm. plus you got kiddos I, I have that. I have help as well. I got their mom is is great. That's cool. And we communicate daily. And you know if there's an issue that comes up, we we communicate about it. So Good. I still have her around and and her to help out. So Good. it makes things a lot easier. That's for sure. Heck yeah. Um, you brought up mom. I want to bring up your mom, mm-hmm. who you were very close to. Yep. That that did pass. How much has she even now pushed you and driven you and? You look back upon her for guidance, I guess, in, in situations. And strength. You know, just when I think I can't, when stuff gets tough, <laughs> I think she didn't quit for nothing. You know, she, they gave her three months to live when she got diagnosed. She made it 16. And that tough little lady, I tell you what, she there's no reason that she should have lived as long as she did, I mean, just other than her fight. But I'll never forget when I told her that Cameron, my brother, was flying back from Colorado to come see her because the doctors had told us it wasn't good. And uh, she looked at me, and she was out of it. Poor JD, he couldn't even go see her anymore. He's like, that's not the Cindy I remember. Um, she goes, Cameron, coming to see me because I'm dying? And I was like, no, Mom. You know, you're going to say that to your parent. She hung in there because it was right before his birthday, the month of April, she heard birthday was april 2nd 1953 and she passed away on april 28th in the afternoon and cameron's birthday was april 27th and i remember saying to him there's no way she will die on your birthday and she pushed through and didn't and died the next day but yeah she's forever in my mind all the time yeah i always say that god brought me jd because he knew he was going to take her and i couldn't do it without either of them (laughs) and your best friend Amanda, yeah. of course. Salamanda. That was rough when she moved to Montana, too, especially with Vivian, our goddaughter. You know, she was, I never wanted kids until I met Vivian Lee. And she cannot a, believe how much she's grown. I know. Goodness. She's an amazing kid. She's going to be 12 May 15th. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And she's, she's her mother's daughter. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. She is just like, I, you know me. I was never like that. Amanda was. And I loved it. Like hair and makeup and all these kind of things. And, uh, Vivian's that way like her she came here to visit last summer she stayed for a month summer before that it was three weeks before that two weeks before that one week just kind of working her way up because you know she's only 11 and her she had like a bag that was like 100 pounds I swear <laughs> to god and it was just all product packed full product yeah oh but don't you worry she also had one or two suitcases she thought she was only coming for even the first time for like a week she had 600 outfits she's has every skin, makeup, hair, nail, you name it, she has it, that kid. She needs to give me and her mom some lessons. I mean, I was like, remember when I was like that? I'm like, I do. 
and I never was. And your child is that way at, geez, she was that way at seven. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that's, that's, was my girls. Bailey has kind of backed away from that. Bailey was all about, I have to have this hair, this shampoo. I got to have this conditioner. Now, oh, I'll ask you this. Why does the conditioner bottle go faster than the shampoo bottle? Okay. I do not understand this. You should put equal amount of squirt in your hand, and they should go at the same time. I and I love that you say that because I think because shampoo gets soapy and it expands. Conditioner don't. Conditioner don't. Well, I'll tell you this much. I love that you say that because one of my dear friends and my hairdresser, Holly Smith. I don't don't tell me how I know that. I have no hair whatsoever. <laughs> I know, right? She always says, I never understand why you run out of shampoo before conditioner because I always give it to her. And especially since my hair, I'm always complaining it's dry and it breaks off. And she's like, use more conditioner. It, you should never. She's like, I run, out of sh- I run out of conditioner first, not shampoo. I'm like, well, I guess I'm just a ding dong because I don't really know why. But yeah, it's, it's never, apparently, some run out of shampoo first, some conditioner. I agree with you. Equal squirt shouldn't be. Shouldn't be a thing, but whatever. Didn't think we were going to talk about shampoo and conditioner, did you? No, I didn't. But I think it's kind of funny just because of the fact it perplexes me. I'm like, what do I do when I'm in the shower? That's uh, that, uh, As a dad, that's what I've had to learn is is all this girl stuff. And, well, I don't like this soap because it doesn't have a smell. Well, that's kind of how I like my soap. I don't want to have a smell, but they want to smell good. So as a dad, that's what I've had to learn. So I can Some only, of that stuff's too smelly, though, too, yeah. right? It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, my daughter, uh, Carly, she's got this stuff that I know when she showers because I can smell it as soon as I get in the kitchen. <laughs> and the bathroom's around the corner down the hallway. Oh, Carly showered. I know she did. So. Oh, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> I uh, Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I was super nervous. But thank, thank you for God coming on. You're yeah. a longtime friend, so it felt, like, at ease. <laughs> These are – I try to keep them conversation and not question-answer – um, just kind of have fun, have a cigar, have a drink. So hopefully you had fun. I did. I had a great time. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Who's, the, who's your Japanese listeners? They're just the uh, stationed air, uh, air force guys. Oh, that are right over there. Wasn't that guy you guys played ball with in big Ben Yoshi? Yoshi Masa Kimura. Mm, yeah. No, it was Takahira Ura. Well, before you got oh, there, I played with Yoshi. You played, yeah. Okay. I had yeah. Takahira. Yeah, the yeah, best thing about Takahura Ura is they didn't like to sleep on the beds in the hotel. They slept on the floor. Same thing? You know, I don't know. We would go over to the, the other dorm at Big Ben. and um, No, this wasn't, at, this wasn't at the dorms. This was on hotel, on road trips. On road trips. Yeah. So I never got paired up oh. uh, with any of the Japanese players on road trips. Um, so I don't know that. But um, I just know they're funny to get drunk i'm the one that made the bed assignments oh so i knew that oh really so guess who my buddy was <laughs> it was takahira ura because <laughs> i slept on the floor and you got the whole bed i had the whole bed to myself yeah, i didn't know that <laughs> didn't you i just know when you together do, yeah we had a catcher my we, first we went year. to a community college yeah true the catcher my first year there uh june i can't remember june's last name but uh they're funny when they drink have a little bit of sake and then uh June would get drunk and go around parties hitting fucking people in the nuts, thinking it was funny as shit. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Things that you boys think are funny, it just cracks me up. I'm like, really? Well, as long as I didn't get hit in the nuts, it's funny. 
and it never dies. People still do that now. Yeah. Now you're just now you're just keen to it, and you kind of see it before they do it, and you're like, oh, gotta be on guard. <laughs> gotta be on guard. <laughs> we learned a lot in high school. Oh, I bet you guys did. So no, nothing of value, but no, <laughs> no. But it was fun, and we weren't stressed out. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming on. Stay Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And uh, best of luck with your career or not best of luck. Keep killing it in your career. Thank you. And uh, you as well, sir. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. I'll just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> go go blue. Go blue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, I got uh, a bunch of uh, Nebraska fans. Oh, do you? So they're going to love that. Yeah. Go blue. Yeah. I, Okay. I know you're trying to wrap shit up, though, but the one year I did live in Omaha, which is only like 40, 45 miles away from Lincoln, which is where University of Nebraska is at, mm-hmm. um, my boss at the time I was building houses for, huge Nebraska fan, like every game day in the fall on Thursday, he'd pull out his flag and fly it on our job trailer, and <laughs> I was only there for one year, so that one fall, he tried to get me to go to a Nebraska game, and sorry, guys, but I hate the Cornhuskers. <laughs> So, Just not as bad as I hate Ohio State or Notre Dame, but you're up there. <laughs> and uh, he tried like hell to get me to go to the game, to a game. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not going. I'm not going, not going. So, I got all the way through fall without having to go to a game. And then he somehow cornered Brooke, like in early spring, and said, hey, I got tickets to go to Nebraska's spring football game. Do you think J.D. would go with me? And she's like, oh, yeah, he loves football. He loves go. football. I didn't know it mattered, like, who was playing. Yeah. So he got me a ticket, and so I felt obligated. Yeah, I had to now go. you're obligated to go. So I went with him, his brother-in-law, and his son. His son was like, I don't know, 8, 10 years old at the time. And we drive to Lincoln, get there, get a couple bars and stuff and have some drinks, and then we go up to Memorial Stadium, and uh, they get down on a knee before we go through the main gate and, like, Get down on me and pray like they're like at church or like, like at, Tim Tebow. Yeah, they're, the, they're at the temple. Like this is the end all be all. I'm like, <laughs> you guys are fucking idiots. And then we get inside there, and I'm watching a spring football game, Nebraska versus Nebraska, eighty thousand yards, screaming for the same team. It's worse. Than- <laughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, Say 80,000 ding-dongs. Ding-dong Cornhusker fan. (laughs) Ryan Odell, I'm just talking in conversation. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But then we went to school with the Martins. They were from Nebraska. I like those guys. I like my Josh Martin. Sam, Josh and Sam Martin. I didn't know that. I I I talked about Sam the other day, actually. Yeah, I loved living in Omaha in Nebraska. I just don't like the Cornhuskers, so. And and you know this play well of Sam Martin running this way, looking this way, and then he turned around and went boom. The guy blew him up from West Valley. Oh yeah, yeah. He did the cartwheel. Yeah. <laughs> he got lit up. Ouch. And coach just coach Curtis kept going rewind play, rewind play, rewind play. Yeah. That's oh. a penalty now. <laughs> they don't let him play anymore. <laughs> no. All right. No. Defenseless. Defender, or something. Yeah. It was a turnover. Yeah. So he was no. It was a. It was a. Um, no, it wasn't a punt. It was an interception. Yeah, something like that. Pretty much just a crackback block. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you guys see these turnovers? I'm like, what? No, bubble. We knew. Well, you didn't know it was a spring football game, and you didn't know he didn't want to go to Nebraska. I didn't. I no. was like, football works. I felt bad though because <laughs> I was sitting there having to study and crap, and there's nobody to hang out with except for Chris Frazier. But he was a law student as well. 
That was my one friend back there that, well, at the time that JD was there in my class that JD really liked. And so they'd go golf. And that guy, he reminds me of Steve Carell. And he's just a short little guy. And JD and him would hang out sometimes. And, of course, you know, JD versus 120-pound Chris when it comes to them having cocktails together. <laughs> uh, look Chris. at you, little guy. <laughs> Puppy. So you were like you were like Lane Frost's wife, studying while and then look up. Pretty much. Go back to studying. Pretty much. I felt bad for him though, because I was like, "That's why I said it'd probably be a bad idea if he came back here the first year. He'd be bored. There's not a lot. I mean, how do you meet people if you're not in school with them? You know. So he hanging outside the dorms kind of creepy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hi guys, how you doing? I know. 